Uh, my name's Paul, and uh, <clears throat> I heard I missed a great week last week. And uh, if you were here, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't, uh, you can go online and watch that. Okay, uh, a while ago, uh, I lose track of when things happen, but many months ago, we did a poll and we asked you, what, were, what are some of the things we could talk about here at New Life that you would find helpful? And one of the things that came up over and over again was this idea of forgiveness. So we're going to spend a few weeks talking about forgiveness, and it's something that I'm sure touches all of us. But I thought it would be interesting to do a little poll here this morning. So if you would take your phone out, we're going to have a live poll that shows up here. And if you would dial this number here, 37607, that's who you're calling or texting. And then in the body of your text, type in NLC 936. That will let you into this poll. And then I just want you to answer this question. And how you answer the question is you choose A, B, C, D, or E. And then you hit send. And we'll just watch and see, when you think about God's forgiveness, how do you feel? And of course, if nothing happens and it's not working, we'll pretend that it never existed and we'll move on. There we go. And if you're watching online, we will leave this poll up active for uh, over a week and you can still participate and then go to the results page and see what's happening. Uh, the number is 37607. If you look here, that's who you're texting. And then in the body of your text, you type in NLC 936. That's like the password to let you into the poll. And then you get a response that says, hey, welcome, you're in. And then, then you answer the question. So you can't, you can't choose an, a, a letter until you've actually been in, accepted into the poll. We're going to do this again as well, so. <laughs> Please text. Okay, happy and at peace. How many of you actually have been able to get in? Hands up. Okay, because I need to know whether this is working or not. <clears throat> So if you were going to text somebody and you typed in their name, this is who you're texting, and this is the first, first message that you text, and then you hit send, and then you answer that. So for most of you that answered, when you think about God's forgiveness, you are happy or you are at peace with that. So the great thing about this is I have no idea how you're going to answer. So it's kind of like, where do we go from here? depending on how you answer. Okay. So you should still be in the poll, and I'm going to switch. Okay, I've got many questions. There might be more that will come in that way. We're going to do another one connected to this, and this is going to kind of cover what we're doing over the next couple of weeks. Let's go to the next poll. When I think about the idea of giving forgiveness to someone, I feel, and then... Here are your different responses. A, I will never forgive them. B, maybe in time. C, I'm trying to give it now. D, I'm able to forgive them. And E, I can forgive them and be reconciled to them. Well, that is really fascinating. Okay, so there's a broad range of the spectrum there of trying to forgive. 
At this point, we have someone saying, I will never forgive them, but that doesn't mean there isn't somebody who's at that place. Uh, Also, this is all anonymous, so... Um, at the end, and I'm just going to give you a heads up here. When I'm done this morning, we're going to do one more poll, and it's basically a chance for you to evaluate what I've taught. And then we'll see how I did at the end. And I'm not joking, that's, that's going to be what we do at the end of the message today, so you'll be able to pull your phone out uh, one more time. So what I would like to do is, is bring up this idea of forgiveness that we talk a lot about in the church And yet I wonder sometimes if it's become one of those topics or areas of interest that we just kind of, we talk about it, but we've kind of forgotten about the importance of it or the significance of forgiveness. So today we want to spend some time looking at God's forgiveness for us. And then next week we're going to move into, you know, as we understand that, what does it mean for us to be a forgiving people? And one of the things we will look at next week is what forgiveness is not. And then the week after that, we're going to look at what forgiveness is as it relates to us as individuals. So, Jesus was asked once to teach his disciples how to pray. And when they asked him to pray, he gave them the prayer, which many of you know, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and then this very next phrase, forgive us our sins as we forgive others when they sin against us. So that's from Matthew chapter 6. And that's a prayer that many of you are familiar with, and yet embedded in the prayer that Jesus wants us to pray is this concept of forgiveness that links God's forgiveness with our ability to forgive. God, forgive us as we forgive others when they sin against us. And then what's interesting um, is verses 14 and 15, he writes this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And for some of you, that might be a little bit disturbing. And you've probably read those verses and thought, what does that mean? And as people who profess to follow Jesus, when we come across teaching of Jesus like this, we want to actually pay attention to what he's saying. And so we want to look this morning at this idea of the God who forgives. Because Jesus is actually leading us through this prayer and he's saying, God, we want to be a forgiving people like you have forgiven us. So when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he is not giving them something that is an entirely new concept to them. And I thought it would be interesting to look at the forgiveness of God before we come to the person of Jesus. So if you go back um, to uh, the very beginning in Genesis, God is with Adam and Eve. He's created humanity. He's created the cosmos. He's in relationship with humanity. And of course, we know that humanity decides to go their own way. And yet God stays turned towards them. And even though if you read the story, they're cast out of the garden, they're not cast away from God because he goes with them. And then throughout the story of God and his relationship, specifically with with, uh, families around the family of Noah and then the family of Abraham, and then that leads into the nation of Israel, 
You have this person named Moses, and many of you are familiar with Moses. Moses was a man who was called by God to lead the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, out of slavery in Egypt. Moses was an Egyptian prince. He was actually uh, a Hebrew, but he was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. You can read the story. He takes matters into his own hands when he sees some of his people being mistreated. He kills a slave driver. He's chased away by Pharaoh who's trying to kill him. He spends many decades in the wilderness, and then God calls him back to free his people. And Moses does that with God's help. Through the power of God, an entire nation is released from bondage. And then along the way, Moses is wrestling with his awareness of who God is and how God operates in the world. And he says to God, show me your glory. I, if I'm going to do this with these people, because this is hard work, I need to know that you're with me. Show me yourself. And so God does. And then in Exodus chapter 34, we read this. Because Moses wants to know who God is. And up to this point, Uh, he's had a difficult time kind of coming to terms with who God is. And what God reveals to Moses, he has never revealed to anybody before that time. And so God shows up and Moses gets to experience, have an experience with God that is beyond anything that that he had imagined. And then in Exodus 34, verse 6, God tells Moses who he is. And he says this, I'm Yahweh, the Lord the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and the fourth generations. And so you're reading that, and here's this wonderful picture of God who's saying, I am God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. And I forgive rebellion and sin and iniquity. And you think, that's wonderful. And then they had to write the next line. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. And so you're kind of left going like, I kind of like the first half of that guy, but I'm not sure what to do with the second bit. And so hold on to that. So here's God long before we get to revealing himself in Jesus, saying, I am a compassionate, merciful, loving God. And I forgive sin. David is a guy that knew a thing or two about sin. King David. King David, who's a man after God's own heart. The scriptures tell us that he was a man after God's own heart. That's how the biblical writers viewed him. And he was also a guy who had an adulterous affair with a woman. And then to try to cover it up, no big deal. He just had her husband killed to hide it. This is the David who writes poems and songs about God. A lot of the psalms as you read through them are psalms that you connect with because they're emotive. They tap into how we feel. And I love that because God is not just a God of our head. He's a God of our emotions, our whole being. And so David in Psalm 130 writes this. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. And then verse 3, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could ever survive? 
but you offer forgiveness so that we might learn to fear you. And there's that little bit at the end there. God, you are a forgiving God so that we can fear you? Another way of understanding that word is to have a reverence. So in another translation, uh, the New Revised Translation will say that so that we could revere God. It's having a healthy awe of God. But you can pick up a little bit of people thinking like, God is a forgiving God, but. And there's a little bit of that but, which sometimes is why when people think about the forgiveness of God, they can't disconnect it from actually just being terrified of the judgment of God. And they're not sure that forgiveness actually works or that they're actually forgiven. As you go through the prophets, uh, you read through the prophets. The prophets are, generally people will say, the prophets are books that are filled with the judgment of God. And that's a, that's a theme that is in there. But it's interesting how it's all revolving around God's relationship with Israel. And sometimes when we think of forgiveness, we think of debt that needs to be canceled. We think of a courtroom scene. And maybe the best way that I could help us with some of this is to realize that we're reading the Hebrew scriptures and so sometimes when we read the Bible, our propensity is to take our own awareness and understanding and bring that onto the text as we read it. And so when we think of a courtroom scene of forgiveness, of the debt being canceled, of a price being paid, we think of a, a very Western-style courtroom where there's a judge and there's a penalty, and as long as the penalty is paid, you're done. But in a Hebrew courtroom, it's very different because all of this is based around the concept of covenant. And a covenant isn't a contract, it's a relational agreement between two parties. And the goal is always that both parties be in relationship and in connection. We do contracts really well in our Western mindset. We wrestle with the concept of covenant. And yet forgiveness is a covenantal term. So when you read the prophets, what you see is God talking about covenant and restoring or forming a new covenant. So in Jeremiah 31, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel. It won't be like the old covenant. It won't be on stone or on paper. It'll be on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be their, my people. I will forgive their wickedness and sin and remember their sins no more. This is the God we meet long before we get to the person of Jesus. And perhaps it's helpful for us as we go back to Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We can be a forgiving people because God is a forgiving God. So let's talk about Jesus and forgiveness. When it comes to this idea of of Jesus and forgiveness. There's some more curious things that happen. I want to come to Mark chapter 2. Some of you will be familiar with this story. There's some friends that, that uh, have a, a friend who's paralyzed, and they bring him to Jesus, and they want Jesus to heal their paralyzed friend. Some of you are familiar with the story. And the crowd's so big around Jesus that they can't get to him, so they lower their friends through the roof. And when they lower their friends down in front of Jesus, it's amazing. Like, talk about great friends, right? 
you know, like, you need help, we'll help you. They bring him to Jesus. They're expecting Jesus to heal him. And the very first thing that Jesus says to this man is, your sins are forgiven. And, of course, all the religious people, they get really angry because, like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, that is entirely inappropriate. You cannot say that because there's only one person who forgives sins. God. They already had an awareness that God was a forgiving God. And the problem with what Jesus said to them was that now he was equating himself to be God because if Jesus is claiming to forgive sins, only God can ultimately forgive sins. Which, by the way, helps us make the connection of help us forgive others as you've forgiven us. Because when we sin against somebody else, it's ultimately also a sin against God because of him loving his creation. And I would like to note this. So when we come to Jesus, long before the cross of Jesus, what we see Jesus doing is forgiving people. Your sins are forgiven. In Luke chapter 7, there's this, um, if I remember right, she's called a sinful woman. And uh, she is showing hospitality to Jesus in a remarkable way because the guy who invited Jesus to his home was not giving him any hospitality. And she's going over the top showing hospitality weeping, letting her tears fall on his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And then Jesus turns to her near the end of this conversation with the religious people who are, who are upset at what she's doing, and he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Before Jesus ever gets to the cross, he is revealing to us a God who is a forgiving God. And he's saying, if you want to see God, look no further. And then he's also forgiving people of sin. Here's something I want to note, because you might think, you know, Paul, you're talking about forgiveness, which is all great, but what about, like, does that just mean that, you know, we just forgive people and there's no, there's no repercussions, there's no consequences, there's no punishment of the sin? So, you know, if I just walked up to one of you after the service and said, you know what, you know, I forgive you, you'd be like, uh, excuse me? I actually haven't done anything to you. And if I said, I forgive you for, for wrecking my car and not telling me about it, you would be just like, you are out of your mind. But God comes to us and he forgives us. He's a giving God. He is always giving. And yet when we refuse to receive that giving or when we turn our backs on God like, uh, like Adam and Eve did or like the prodigal son did or others like that, God has always turned toward us. When we turn back, what we realize is very quickly, I can't repay this. I've done something wrong and I can't pay back to a God who has no need for anything. So when God offers forgiveness, in the act of forgiving, he is also naming the offense and he's condemning it. So if you actually had wrecked my car and I said, I forgive you for wrecking my car, I have named the offense and in the act of forgiving, there's also a condemnation that comes with that. And that's what God does in the act of forgiving. So it doesn't mean that there's no consequence to sin. It doesn't mean that there's no consequence to offense or that there's no repercussions to it. 
But I think sometimes what we want in our world, because we're so wrapped up in, in the system that we live in, is that, that we want forgiveness, but we want penalty too. I'm going to forgive, but they need to pay. And this is where we have some fun coming back to Jesus. Jesus is showing us the forgiveness of God. And then, of course, we read not only that Jesus forgives people because God is a forgiving God, but it's, it's in the person of Jesus and through the work that he's done that forgiveness is offered. So we can't separate the person of Christ from the work of Christ. And the work of Christ ultimately includes the cross. And so in Ephesians 1.7, the Apostle Paul, a leader in the early church, will write about the forgiveness of Jesus. And what, he's, what he writes there is that in him we have been redeemed through his blood. It's a reference to the cross. In Matthew 26, Jesus was actually enacting the new Passover with his people. And he said that this blood is the new covenant and it represents the forgiveness of sins for many. So in the person of Jesus... And in the work that he's done on the cross, there's this wonderful thing of, of forgiveness being given, offense being named, sin being pointed out, and condemned. And yet the condemnation, Jesus takes on himself. And then the biblical writers talk about it being removed. And we could have eons and ages of trying to figure out how that happened. But the good news is that it did happen, that in Jesus we have forgiveness of sin. But you see, the goal of reconciliation isn't just to cancel a debt. The goal of reconciliation, or the, the, goal, of, the goal of forgiveness isn't just to cancel a debt. It's also to lead to reconciliation between each other and between us and God. That's the work we're going to do next week. It's talking in the week after that. It's talking about how we become a forgiving people. So in Luke 15, when the prodigal son turns back and he wants to go home, he realizes what he's done is wrong and he wants to go back. He's not met by a father who's waiting for him like this. He's met by a father who's watching for him and waiting, and as soon as he sees him, he's just running down the road to wrap his arms around his son and throw a party. That is a story that Jesus told of an enactment of forgiveness taking place, of reconciliation happening. You see, the goal of, of forgiveness is not just for our debt to be paid. Now we don't owe God anything. Jesus paid it. The goal of the forgiveness of God for us as a people is that we would be restored to God and reconciled with each other. And it's such a beautiful picture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd just like to read this for you. Verse 18, all of this, talking about what Christ has done, that, that Christ died for us, that we've actually died with Christ. Could have a whole other conversation about that. But all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Did you catch that? That on the cross, Jesus wasn't reconciling humanity 
to an angry God. On the cross, Jesus wasn't reconciling an angry God to humanity. It's not as if God had to be reconciled to us. It's that he was reconciling the world to himself. But it's not like Jesus was here and God, the God of the Old Testament, is over here. What the Apostle Paul is writing is that God was in Jesus himself on the cross. Bearing the consequence of, of all the world's lostness, sickness, sinfulness, offense, and then removing it. So in Christ, God was actually reconciling us to himself. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation, not just canceled debt. You see, that's a Western courtroom compared to a Hebrew courtroom. So what does that mean for us then as Jesus followers? There's a few things here that I'd like to point out. That the only way forgiveness works is if it's received. I have a prize here for you. It's $100. It's yours. All you have to do is receive it. If you don't take the gift, is the $100 of any value to you? Have you ever refused a gift from somebody? Maybe you have because you thought like, oh, I think there's too many strings attached to this. Well, I guess there's a string attached to the forgiveness of God. It's that he wants you to be reconciled to himself. So if you have no interest in actually wanting to be in relationship with God and to be right with him and with other people, then you probably don't accept that. Could we come back to Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, where he says, if you forgive people their sins, you will be forgiven. If you don't forgive their sins, you will not be forgiven. In the next week, I'm going to look at Matthew 18, which is a story Jesus tells about forgiveness. But let's just, let's just deal with this for a moment. What does it mean that God won't forgive our sins? Forgiveness only works if it's received. Remember earlier I said that when God forgives, he's also naming the offense and he's condemning it. When we receive God's forgiveness, see, I'm not making an assumption here that you've, that you've actually been willing to receive this, but when you receive forgiveness from God or for someone else, you are also acknowledging that you were complicit or guilty in the offense. If I said to you, you know, I forgive you for wrecking my car, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you actually did it, then my forgiveness is of no value for you. And here's another interesting thing about forgiveness that we'll explore. Forgiveness is for the other person. A gift is always for the benefit of the other person. And I know there's some good stuff that happens inside, but the ultimate goal of forgiveness is for the benefit of the other person. So when we receive God's forgiveness, we are acknowledging that we need to be forgiven. And it's not just we're acknowledging that we did something wrong and we got a debt to pay. It's actually acknowledging that we can't repay that debt. We are hopeless. We are ultimately dead. And that's what the biblical writers talk about when they talk about the consequences of sin. And when we receive forgiveness... Another phrase that they use or word that they use which helps us understand that is this idea of repentance when we turn back, when we confess, when we admit 
So when God forgives, he's naming and condemning. When we receive God's forgiveness, we are also essentially saying, I acknowledge the fact that I cannot ever get out of this. And then we receive from God what we can't do ourselves. And the biblical writers talk about that as salvation or new life. So um, let's go back to that, what it means for us, Wayne. It needs to be received, and then we forgive as God forgives. That's back to that Matthew 14 and 15. If we haven't fully understood God's forgiveness, it's going to be a lot harder for us to be a forgiving people. And essentially what Jesus is doing in Matthew 6, 14 and 15 is he's saying, like, until you understand and receive the forgiveness of God, you're not capable of forgiving other people, which shows that you actually haven't received God's forgiveness. So you haven't received the gift. That's why your sins aren't forgiven. And that might make you a little bit fearful right now. Because now you're thinking like, whoa, there's somebody that I can't forgive right now. And I would just simply say, hang on there, it's okay. Because here's the next thing that what this means for us. Is there an unforgivable sin? <clears throat> you ever been heard about the unforgivable sin? Anybody ever come across that in scripture? Yeah, and you just read past that part. No, I'll just keep going. Thanks. You know, and as a, as a young person, young in the faith, you come across this phrase and you think like, oh, I'm screwed. <laughs> There's no way, like, what I did, that's got to be the unforgivable sin. So Mark chapter 3, uh, in Luke, can't remember where it is in Luke. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Um, Jesus talks about this unforgivable sin. And I would just simply offer to you that the only sin that God can't forgive is the sin that you don't want to be forgiven of. You refuse to receive God's forgiveness. And that's what Jesus talks about, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. God just wants to pour out his love on you. God wants to uh, have you just drenched in his forgiveness. But it is up to you to receive that forgiveness. And the more we understand God's forgiveness, the more we can become a forgiving people. And there, I think there's some work to do in that, not only in forgiving other people, but in understanding and incorporating God's forgiveness in our own life. And I assure you, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, God can never forgive me of that. The writer to the Hebrews, a letter in the New Testament, in chapter 9, verse 26, said, Jesus Christ sacrificed himself once for all time, for all sin. All sin, all time, Jesus takes care of on the cross. So whatever it is that you think God can't forgive you for, I can assure you, if you're willing to just receive that forgiveness you're going to receive that. And the more you understand God's heart for you, the more you understand his forgiveness, the more you are going to become a forgiving people. The final thing that I would say, you know, in all of this is this. Is this. The cross of Jesus does not lead to God's forgiveness. 
God's forgiveness leads to the cross. You know, it wasn't like God couldn't forgive us until Jesus died. God's been a forgiving God for all of eternity. It's the fact that he's a loving and forgiving God as the cause of why Jesus goes to the cross. And I think we need to be careful that we don't swap those. And as you understand the forgiveness of God, you will become a forgiving people. Now, pull out your phones. We're going to do one more poll. And then I am going to um, offer up a prayer for us. So let's have some fun. You shouldn't have to redo anything else. You should be able to answer the poll. Listening to you unpack God's forgiveness today, I am more confused now than before. Not sure it will help me be able to forgive someone. Starting to see how important it is to understand and receive God's forgiveness. Wanting to embrace God's forgiveness so I can be released from my unforgiving attitude. And I'm thankful that his love and forgiveness are flowing through me to others who have wronged me. So essentially, you're more confused now than ever. You're starting to get it. With some help, you can do it right down to, I'm able to forgive other people and I'm moving into reconciliation. No, nobody's on A yet. Now that I said that, someone's going to go there. But you know what? It would be okay if you were. Because I'm still learning about this stuff. I'm trying to teach you about it, and I'm still learning about God's forgiveness, which is the, kind of the, the, the ironic thing. So in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to look some more at God's forgiveness, but more as it applies to how we become a forgiving people. Because I think forgiveness is hard work. And I suspect for a lot of us, there's probably someone in our life or a group of people in our life that we're wrestling with the feelings that we have inside. Or there's somebody that we're estranged with. And we just need to explore this together. Is it possible? Is the stuff that Jesus is he's teaching, does it actually work out in real everyday life? So and as I said, if you're following online and you're watching this next week, um, the poll will still be live and you can still participate in it. Thanks for doing that today. I want to offer up a prayer for us as, a, as just a, a way of kind of finishing our time together. And I'll pray it um, on behalf of all of us and invite you to join with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you this day in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Have mercy on us and forgive us, that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and honor of your name. Amen. Amen.